Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith, a vascular surgeon who offers a unique and less invasive method of repairing abdominal aortic aneurysms, has recently joined Upstate Medical University's Department of Surgery. Dr. Wei Li is here to explain how this procedure works and which patients it may help the most. Welcome to the informed patient, Dr. Li. Thank you for the introduction. In answer number said, my name's Wei Li. And I'm a new vascular surgeon, but also this is my return to Syracuse. I used to be a surgical resident 18 years ago, and then I continued my training journey as well as my career until now I came back to upstate and rejoined the university and the hospital. So welcome back to Syracuse. Now, before we get into the details of this surgery, let's review what an abdominal aortic aneurysm is. Where is this located in the body? Uh, it's in the abdomen, located at the biggest artery in the body, which is called aorta. Basically, it's a dilatation of the aorta. The medical term aneurysmal change basically is like a balloon enlargement of the blood vessel in the bigger the balloon, the higher chance for the balloon to rupture, which represents a major risk for the patient who have those aneurysms. However, there are some other symptoms related to aneurysms, such as blood clot uh, can be dislodged from the inner surface of the aneurysm. We call it mirror thrombus can dislodge distally and occlude patient's legs or bowels. Well, my patient in Texas two years ago, he had aneurysm discovered, but he presented the ER with occluded vessel in the leg. And later on, we found out he had a big aneurysm in the belly. So let me make sure I understand this. The aorta, the biggest artery in the body that carries the blood, if there's a weakness and it starts ballooning, there's risk with that. But there's also the risk that it can cause a blood clot that could travel and then cause other problems in other parts of the body. That's correct. Although the second scenario is much less frequent compared to the first one, but they do exist as well. So when the patient came in with the cold limbs, sometimes they do have a big enlarged uh, abdominal area in the body, although it's rare, but they do exist. So what are the symptoms? How would a person know that they have an aneurysm forming in their abdomen and how much of an emergency is it? Unfortunately, most of the abdominal aneurysm patients, they did not know until the aneurysm ruptured or became symptomatic, just like the gentleman I mentioned. And at the current time, since the uh, last 20 years, we had more awareness about the aneurysm. So we started to have surveillance with ultrasounds. One of the things we offer now in our practice is to use ultrasound to screen individuals who had smoking history, who is older than 65 years old, and also may have family history, meaning other family members who had who have such aneurysm. So a person who's older, you said over 65, maybe someone whose family members have had aneurysms in the past or smoking history, those people might be at higher risk. And so you might do surveillance where you look and see sort of randomly, whether they have an aneurysm, even though they don't have any symptoms. That's correct. Some people call it a silent killer 
because they present the ER hypotensive abdominal pain and then scan ultrasound or CT, uh, we found the rapture aneurysm. And that's probably the first or the last time patient know they have aneurysm if they fortunately became uh, mortality. So let's say you do discover an aneurysm ahead of time before it's causing symptoms or problems. How is it traditionally dealt with? How do you treat it? We did not treat aneurysm until those aneurysm reach certain size. So example, 5.5 or 6 centimeters in male patients. Traditionally, probably 20 years ago or 30 years ago, we treat those aneurysms with open surgeries, which are major surgery. To this day, we still offer those kind of surgery, but most of the time we have the luxury to have minimally invasive modalities to treat those aneurysms through catheter wire and without big incisions on the belly. So tell me more about how this is done. If it avoids putting the patient under a major operation where they're cut wide open, you're able to do this with minimal invasiveness, right? With smaller incisions. How does that work in an aneurysm situation? Thanks for the new technology. We're able to, through a small needle hole, access from both groins in inserted device we call endovascular aerograph. So those grafts can cover the aneurysms through inside. So the aneurysm will not get enlarged, will not be pushed or pressed by blood pressures and prevent rupture. Can you compare what the recovery is like and the success rate for an open abdominal aneurysm repair versus the more minimally invasive style of procedure? Oh, that's a huge difference compared to 30 years ago. So 30 years ago, we do open abdominal aneurysm repair. Patients, most of them stay in the hospital a week and with severe disabled situation, even after they were discharged. Now, most people, if we repair the injury electively, most of the patient can get out of the hospital the next day. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Wei Lee. He's a surgeon at Upstate, and he offers a minimally invasive aneurysm repair that's an alternative to open surgery. So let's talk about which patients this procedure is best for. Can anyone with an abdominal aortic aneurysm seek this less invasive option? Almost anyone, given the advancement of technology, because compared to 10, 20 years ago, now we have more graphic abilities and more type of maneuvers and devices available. I would say probably more than 90% of patients who have the abdominal aorta aneurysm can benefit from such minimally basic technologies. Is there anything that would disqualify a person? Does the patient's size matter or does the size of the aneurysm matter? In rare occasions, for example, patients have the very rare anatomies we call short neck, or for example, they have no neck, we call aneurysm neck. At that kind of situations, so we may have to perform the traditionally open surgeries, but those situations are very rare. Now, the short name for this is FEVAR, but that stands for something, F-E-V-A-R. What does that stand for? Transfer endovascular uh, abdominal annual care, 
is a little advanced technology compared to regular EVAR, meaning we can treat the aneurysm with the branch technology, meaning if the neck is shorter than average, we can treat those with more advanced grab options. This technology is new, but it's now very new. I started to do this technology about 2013. The technology became available, approved by the FDA in the United States, 2012. So I'm curious about how you instruct patients who are going to have this procedure. How do you tell them to prepare for it? Are there tests or measurements that have to be done ahead of time? I think most of the test preparation part is on the physician side. And for the patients, it's nothing specific. I think most of the time, patients just show up at the hospital the day of the surgery after some blood work. How long does the procedure usually take? Normally, a couple of hours. And if we do sensory EVAR, it would be three, four hours. But if it's a regular EVAR, normally a couple of hours. Is the patient awake during the procedure? Most of the patients are not awake. We do this endogenic anesthesia. Patients don't even know they have the surgery through the entire process. How long is the hospital stay afterward? Most of the time, it's a nice stay. And patients go all next day. What are the types of complications that you're on the lookout for? Most common one we call access relating because those melodonna here dangerous patients, most of them are smokers. So their blood vessels are tend to be harder and with plaques. And sometimes the access to be very challenged. The more challenged the access, the higher chance of complications such as hematoma, mini bleeding, or sometimes it cause a second treatment OR. The other thing is some chance of infection, but compared to open surgical repair at much less. How long is the graft meant to last? That was a good question 30 years ago. We started to do this kind of procedure since the 1990s. Those grafts last over very long. The neural graft, the better. In the older generation graph tend to have some graph related complications. They slide down time, but the newer ones tend to last much longer. And given the patient population age of 60s, 70s, probably we expect the graph last for the rest of their life. I'm curious about what follow-up care is like. Does a patient who has undergone this procedure keep checking in with you or do they go back to their primary care doctor? Do they have to be followed closely? Since we have been doing this for 20 plus years, we have a set of protocols in terms of how to follow up these patients. And most patients be followed either by ultrasound casket, depending on the situation. They do need to return to the hospital normally one week after surgery to check their wounds and be one month to check via graft. We either casket or ultrasounds, also with CASCAN, with contrast. And then depending on the situation, people come back in three or six months interval or then yearly every year. I'm guessing that you advise your patients to stop smoking if they are still smoking. Does that make a difference in their recovery? They do, and that smoking is a big factor for any growth even. So for people who have a small aneurysm, the size it's not indicated for repair if the patient stops smoking, 
their study suggested smoking can accelerate the growth of the aneurysm. And then for the patients, the stop smoking or smoking cessation is suggested for any individuals with any vascular pathology. Well, Dr. Lee, I appreciate you making time to tell us about this option. Thank you. Thank you. My guest has been Dr. Wei Li, a surgeon at Upstate specializing in vascular and endovascular surgery. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.